you know, they, they say practice till you make perfect. No, it's like amateurs practice till they get it right. Professionals practice till they can't get it wrong. Hey, everybody. Thank you for joining us for today's episode of Real Estate Disruptors. Today, we've got Scott Morse with Lamasu Leeds and Scott Flynn from Columbia to talk about how to stop hiring bad cold callers. Now, I am on a mission to create 100 millionaires. The information on the show alone is enough to help you become a millionaire in the next five to seven years. If you'll take consistent action, you will become one. And we know that one of the fastest ways to become a millionaire is to get good at sales. So our sales community was launched just a couple of months ago, and the community members are already closing more deals. If you haven't checked it out, go to salesdisruptors.com to surround yourself with sales assassins from across the country. And uh, this show is brought to you by our sister company, InvestorLift. Get access to over 2 million cash buyers across the country. Go to InvestorLift.com, put in disruptors to get 10% off. And if you get value today, please hit that subscribe button. Don't keep us a secret. We want to help as many people as possible. You ready? I'm ready. All right. So your journey is a little bit different, right? So you've got this massive call center going right now. But let's go back to the beginning. Talk about what was it like? What was your life like before you became, um, before you went to business for yourself? Yeah. So one of the things I'm a big proponent of is how much sales can change your life. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I had an opportunity to do very, very aggressive sales when I was 20 years old and getting into sales and choosing that as my occupation in lieu of going to college. Mm -hmm. And so, uh, I, it was such a blessing. I was working with my hands. I was installing like alarms and buildings and I went to a sales track one day, a big monster sales track. I saw these kids like about our age now, but dressed in nice suits and fancy cars. And I was in showing them how to use the alarm. And I finally turned to one kid and I was like, hey, man, what do you guys do here? He said, hey, we, we sell timeshare. Timeshare. And literally that next day, that day I went back to the boss. I quit the job. I said, I'm going to go over there and do that. <laughs> so once I realized that you could use language, you could communicate your way to success yeah. to become independently wealthy, I went down that path. Uh, how old were you? I was 20 years old. So 20 years old. That's why you just said that. So you're 20 years old. You can start installing alarms and all these other things. Was it like a conference center where like they're having an event? No, or? it was uh, their sales floor, literally okay. their sales floor. They were bringing in, I don't know, 50, 60 couples a day to pitch. Mm -hmm. And I'd never seen anything like that. I'd never been exposed to really, I didn't even really understand the fundamentals of truly aggressive uh, sales. I didn't know anything about it. I just know that I saw a lot of kids who looked like me who had more money than me. And the only thing that they were doing is they were using their communication skills to yeah. be able to drive a result that they wanted. But yet I was the guy who was always instructed to teach people how to use the alarm system. So I was communicating too, but I was getting paid significantly less than these sales professionals over here. And they looked like they were having a better time anyways. Yeah. So I, just that day, that one day, thankfully I got the job to go install that, that, that security system. That's what changed my entire life. Path. What were you getting paid to install a security system? Gosh, I couldn't even. Hell yeah, it was so long ago. That was in 2001, so it would have been something very low hourly. Okay. And then uh, you decided you're going to get into this timeshare thing. Yeah. Uh, did you get the job? Oh, yeah. Yeah, right. yeah, yeah. So, they, they pretty much hire anybody. Yeah, so it wasn't really an application process. Really more was like, just fill out this paperwork. Yeah, fill out this paperwork. Are you hungry? Are you willing to shut up and listen? Mm -hmm. uh, I think they would have probably taken me no matter what, just because that's the type of thing. They have a high turnover. Oh, yeah. um, but most sales floors do, mm -hmm. but there was a couple of people that, that saw something in me and really poured into me, uh, and they mentored me. And it's just, those were the foundations of everything that's happened in my life since then and sales. And then ultimately those led to other sales jobs and careers and leadership roles, et cetera, et cetera. But 
those fundamentals of just choosing, hey, I'm going to make sales my way out of this life that I have. I'm going to make mastering the art of communication something that benefits me and one day my future family. That's awesome. So talk to me about your very first sit at the timeshare. Oh, I did terrible. (laughs) Do you remember it? Uh, I, I don't remember the very first, but I remember the very first few weeks of pain. It wasn't like I got right out of the gates and the very first person I talked to, they signed up. Yeah. Um, I always tell my guys, you got to get the marbles out of your mouth. Mm-hmm. And so every time I have somebody that starts new with me, I know that there's a learning curve. But I remember one time they were offering this really cool incentive to my customers. Like the manager would always come over in timeshare. And so like the manager would come over and he would offer some cool incentives. And he was saying, hey, listen, I'm going to give you unlimited this and unlimited that. And he was really pouring it on. And at the table, I was like, oh, my, this is the greatest thing. Oh, my gosh, you got it. And I remember that got the sale. This was obviously, you know, like week two or so. And then the manager comes to me afterwards. He was like, dude, great acting. Good job there. I was like, what do you mean? He was like, you don't know. He was like, no, everybody gets this. <laughs> and just that click, though, for me, he was just like, but I need you to be like that. Every time I come to the table from this point forward and I give away this thing that we're going to give away every time, I need you to always handle yourself like that. And I was like, okay, I see what these guys are doing. They're really putting on a Hollywood performance. Yeah. When we train our guys today, we always talk about play Hollywood, mm-hmm. right? Like you have a script, but let's, let's go ahead and do it in a Hollywood fashion. So you were totally authentic. Totally authentic. And they're like, oh, man, if this guy thinks it's a good deal, like, I'm going to buy it. Exactly. So how long were you in uh, timeshare sales? I, was, I did really, really well. Once I got, the, got it down, and I took it very seriously. It's something I studied and um, really attempted to master. And I found my mentors in books because mm-hmm. back then, you know, YouTube wasn't really a thing at all, right? right. Um, but I found my mentors in books. And so I really started studying the art of sale and power communication and um, I did that for about two years, and I was recruited out of that into something called the travel club industry. And then that's where it really hit another level because there we were going and speaking to people in different parts of the country, and I got to be able to stand in front of people and articulate our product and services, got to be able to talk to people one-on-one. So uh, two years in timeshare, and then the rest of the journey was in something called travel club. So going back to you know the timeshare deal, um, those kids – Wearing nice suits, driving nice cars. Yeah. Did you become one of those kids that was driving a nice, wearing a nice suit, driving nice cars? Yes. Okay. So Except you were able to do what you thought. Yeah. And I don't know if I ever got to the really nice suit side because then I moved to Florida and then there's just the, the gear change. This was always in Virginia. Yeah. Definitely got to the nice car. And I had the, this is back when you could get like the DVD installed in your brand new Acura. So I had like the new Acura and I got the DVD. And I was just a young kid from a different place. And first time I had money, I was like, hey, let's roll. Um, um, so one of the things I've heard a lot with timeshare is like, they've got the absolute, not the absolute best, but consistently one of the best, uh, sales training for sure. So did you find that to be true where you worked at? Yeah. hundred percent. Okay. You still use those techniques or those things you learned from there? hundred percent. They're, they're, they're universal principles to sales and communications, irrespective of the product. And that's one of the things that's helped me a lot on my entrepreneur journey. I'm agnostic to the product. I don't care. Mm-hmm. I think whatever mousetrap is the most profitable that benefits people at the same time. So it's not only got to make money, but benefit the consumer, then I'm in for it. But those fundamentals, it doesn't matter if you're selling knives or if you're selling pool cleaners or if you're selling courses or if you're helping somebody out of a house. The reality is, is that those fundamentals for sales carry through universally. Yeah. So why Travel Club? 
I, you know, was an adjunct. Somebody from there saw how well I was performing, and then they recruited me into that. And it was uh, a buddy of mine's dad had that, um, that travel club track, and it was in Florida, and it's kind of very similar to Timeshare. But I was also very cognizant of what that opportunity meant to me because I was a kid from Virginia. I had never seen a palm tree in my life by 21 years old. And so we just didn't grow up with a lot of – now, uh, just saying those words, I think now at my house now it's surrounded by palm trees. Like it's so – it's so different what that journey means. But when I stayed at that house, I literally would sleep with the sales book underneath of my pillow. Like I knew that opportunity to get out of timeshare into this travel club, have this opportunity to have a leadership role was like a major milestone. So once I had that, I then dedicated myself to mastering what that industry I could do and then also improving my sales skills. If you can educate me, what is travel club? You know, it's kind of like a, a timeshare. That's why I say it's adjacent to it, but it's essentially you pay a flat fee up front, somewhere between three to $10,000 up front to be able to get really good wholesale discounts on travels. So your mm -hmm. cruises may be 30 to 40% off. Your hotels, if people really knew what the net rates of hotels were for places like Travelocity, mm -hmm. just allowed you net rates on a lot of different vacations out there. I remember, I think World Ventures was the MLM that was being pitched. It was very similar-ish to that, except Got that uh, we would invite people to a hotel we would rent out a banquet hall. Mm -hmm. We would give them an incentive for coming in, and then they would come in, and we would explain our product to them. But the whole point was is to close today. And so for the first, really, my entire sales career, it's always been closing now, being able to build enough rapport, be able to isolate objections, to be able to incentivize action today. There's always been a close today mentality, and that's helped a lot even in the real estate spaces. I've for carried sure. through all that. So there was more upside, though, in, in uh, the travel club? You know, at 21 years old, what do you do? It's just an opportunity. You know, I was just a kid. Um, I don't know if I, I really thought too terribly much about it. I knew that it was an opportunity to get away from where I grew up, and sales afforded me that opportunity. Um, learning to communicate, to become a leader, to become a team lead, become a manager down there, um, it definitely afforded me more of an opportunity. I don't mm -hmm. think I was really forecasting my life, but so terribly far out at that time, you know, I was just right. a knucklehead with cash. Um, but it definitely ended up being the foundation, the plateau that took me to the next level. And what was the next level? Next level was I did that. For, I worked for a man for about 10 years. I worked for him and mentored under him in that travel club. And then I had an opportunity to get into a, another campaign, which was timeshare exit, which was timeshare cancellation. And so it really came full circle because when I was a kid, I got people into it. And then later I got people out of it. Mm -hmm. And so... I worked for him for 10 years, and it wasn't until – the best way to say it is I started caring more about his company than I think that he did. Mm -hmm. And so I saw a lot of opportunities to add on revenue sources, and it just didn't click. And, you know, the day that I left, then he wanted to make me a partner in the firm instead of just doing override now, a true ownership equity. And I love the man. I respect the man. I owe him so much for my, my success today. <laughs> but it was like, man, you should have made me that offer before I left because there was rumblings and going on. And so I, I gave up. I was living in a high rise in downtown Orlando. Um, at that, I was making sub 200, but I was making great money for myself at that time. And uh, I gave it all up and then ended up moving to Illinois to start a timeshare cancellation company. And then that one really grew us to the next level. Uh, that stuff's in the news right now. Yeah. Right. Uh, was it, what's the name of that company? Because like Dave Ramsey's got caught up in it. Uh, yeah, I tried, man. I pitched Dave Ramsey. He sent me a couple of cease and desists. Um, so I knew the company he aggressive. was messing with. Yes. <laughs> I used to always say, you, you, 
once you get a cease and desist, it's a badge of honor. Yeah. Like, you know. But, I got a couple of those. So yeah, I, yeah. I respect it. Yeah. It's like, okay. All right. Now, now I'll take my foot off the gas. Um, but we tried to tell them. said, hey, man, listen, we know how they're doing fulfillment or the lack of fulfillment. You need to partner with us. You need to partner with us. Mm-hmm. I really tried hard to get him to break up with them, to partner with us. That whole industry ended up really um, having a fight, a, a big fight. I was in two, multi-billion, two multi-billion dollar publicly traded companies, ultimately sued our company um, for tortious interference, as they put it, in regards to helping people out of timeshare contracts. And so I was like, man, I started this from my spare bedroom to 200 employees, to many millions of dollars in revenue. But again, for me, the whole point is, is those same sales principles that I learned at 20 allowed me to go from there to get into the travel club, to scale up the travel club, to work there for 10 years, to get into the timeshare exit, and then lead sales space to attorneys, scale that up for seven years, and then ultimately on. But it's just crazy for me because when I tell these kids that I'm training in my office now, like how sales can change their life. Sales is everything for people with no opportunity. Mm -hmm. And there are a lot of kids out there that they have the hustle muscle, but they may may not be planted in the best soil. And so, like, if you don't have a lot of opportunities around you, learning to communicate and the sales mastery and goals mastery, it really, it, it, it was a game changer for me. And I'm a very ardent supporter of all things sales. So talk about it, right? I mean, like, I know we're going to get further into it later on the show, but, you know, bringing an opportunity of a soft skill like sales, right? It's not a hard skill. You're not putting on a hard hat. You're not swinging anything. Yeah. Right? It's soft skill. But you're presenting these soft skills to people with, Otherwise, not a whole bunch of different options. So talk to me about like how that experience has been and what it means to you. You know, I think that one of the things that it does for a lot of people is it gives them confidence, you know, and confidence really is the backbone of any communication. But once you can learn how to articulate yourself, and even sometimes it's not the words, it's the space between the words. It's the pause. It's being able to understand and it, at some point, it can be almost a, an unfair advantage, if you will, when you can articulate yourself in such a way that the recipient of your communication will take the actions that you want them to take. Mm-hmm. And so you never have to really argue with your girl anymore who wants to go out where you want to go for dinner or whatever. Like You can communicate that to a way. And so there's a lot of kids out there. There's a lot of young men and women out there that choose other pathways because they don't know that, hey, listen, if I just study some of the core basic principles... And I work my butt off because even when you can be a great orator and have crappy work ethic and you're not going to succeed, you you need it for both. And so that's why I try to share with these kids. It's like, Hey, these fundamentals that you learn, it's going to help you in your relationships with your parents and help you with your relationships in your love life. It's going to help you with your relationships with your bosses, your colleagues. And then ultimately, if you decide to be an entrepreneur on your own, ultimately help you lead and be comfortable standing in front of two to 400 people and then communicating at scale. Yeah. Um, so when you see, you know, these kids, you're talking about having success with it. Yeah. Like, what is that? uh, How's that affecting you? You know, something that's been a new concept for me lately is that my why has always been the last name Morse. Mm -hmm. My last name is Morse. So it's always been my kids, my spouse, my parents, it's myself. It's always been my why. Strange thing happened when I moved to Columbia And all this happened out of an accident. I really never planned to move down there to start and have 200 and some kids. But even yesterday, I got a text message from a young lady who was just saying, hey, thank you. Because of you, I've been able to move out and I have my own apartment. 
and I have these kids who get their first cars, and I have these kids who get their first motorbikes, and I have these kids who now support their parents. And it's like, it means a lot to me mm-hmm. because the sales skills, to, again, to bring it back, that I learned there that I've now scaled up this company with, and now I'm teaching them, that's my new why. I didn't, I didn't know that was going to be my new why, but that means more than the revenue. It means more to ch- impact somebody's life from something that happened to me because I installed a security system two decades prior. It's yeah. kind of mind-blowing for me. It is insane. Um, you know, uh, all my Zoom calls are recorded. This is kind of yeah. the way it is. And my uh, VA, Mon, he just breaks them all down. Like, he sorts them to different folders, right, just randomly. We have a Zoom folder in Dropbox, and he just puts it in the right thing. And, like, some of them is, like, you know, coaching call for this, coaching call for that. Some of them is, like, you know, like a personal call with this person, right? And as he was uh, sorting it, and he looked at it, he's like, hey, Steve, I want, like, like, I want you to know, like, that cold call center is legit. I was like, you've worked with them? Like, what do you mean? He's like, no, like, I could see in the background, like, that is a legitimate cold call, uh, a call center, right? He's like, I, like, you can see, like, this is a real business. This is yeah. not like a, hey, let's just start a cold calling company, right? Yeah. Uh, and then um, he said he can see the joy in your face every time they ring the bell. Am I? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, dude. I, I tell people, and I mean this from the bottom of my heart, but it's my jet ski. Mm-hmm. And I'll tell the kids, like, there's a guy in South Beach right now who's pulling up to the dock after being on the jet ski for 45 minutes. Mm-hmm. He's got that biggest grin on his face. Yeah. He's not as happy as I am inside of that office. Like that's my jet ski because we're making an impact. We're changing other people's businesses. It's a butterfly effect at scale. This is not something we're doing. I mean, we have a lot more room for growth for sure, but it's definitely something that you go in there. We have fireworks. We have a a gong. We have a cowbell. We have a boat bell. Um, We clap on every hyper-qualified lead that we send. It's, it's a party. What's a boat bell? A boat bell. It's, it's a, it's a, you put it on the mast and it's got a rope and you ring it. So my office is bonkers, but that's what it takes. We're in the front lines of this industry. Cold calling sucks. Mm-hmm. But if I could cold call in Google's office, I would be better there than cold calling in some run of the mill office in South Florida. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, that, so what I've done is trying to create an environment that's very Google-esque, very uplifting. So that way when you have to do the tough job, it's just a little bit easier, yeah. a little bit more fun. Yeah, Definitely. Especially if you're doing it with other people that are rowing the boat in the same direction. Yes. Um, you're talking about uh, sales and like you know teaching these young younger folks uh, in Colombia. Like for myself personally, I've got three little girls. That I'm yeah. teaching sales, and the reason why we, we we do it is that they can dictate their life. They yes. can choose how their life's going to go if they can master how to communicate yes. effectively. It's just crazy, like how important this skill is this skill is and even like we have guys in our office it's just funny that you know a couple of the guys are, are they moved one bought a house one moved an apartment and uh they are negotiating like crazy on offer up yes right and they're showing me these messages like it's it's fascinating it's not not only are they negotiating an offer up right Get, getting these people down significantly uh-huh. but like you know like inception where you go like next yes, level yeah so you know now they're using sales skills against salespeople. Mm-hmm. Right. So when they feel like the conversations or the negotiation is not going to work, they'll just hit them with, I'll, I'll think about it. Yeah. And the sales guy knows I, I'll think about it. Like this conversation, this negotiation is over uh-huh. and then they'll come down. Yeah. That's it's great. just crazy how next level these guys have gotten. You know, it's something the sales so, skills. so crazy is that uh, when I'm doing it for business, 
I'm very, I think, lethal when it comes to negotiations or sales. However, when I'm going to buy something, I don't know what happens. I just, all my, I'm the easiest lay down. If I right. like something, uh, I just, uh, I, I, I buy without any hesitation on mm-hmm. something just because I don't know. I just, I, I like, I love the show. I love to be, as long as I'm yeah. not being victimized, I want to see it. I want to mm-hmm. see them do the takeaway. I want to see them talk about scarcity. I want to see them, hey, it's today only. I just yeah. love it. Yeah. Oh, definitely. It's that uh, it is an experience. And like, you know, um, a comment made by my team member yesterday, because I'm back on the phones right now. Right. You know, our team's a little bit smaller. I'm back on the phones. He's like, you sound joyful on the phone. I was like, I sound joyful? <laughs> like, yeah. Like, it can sound like you're like, having like a fun time. I was like, yeah. I mean, I am having a fun time. Yeah. Right. Because sales is now a game. Right. It's like uh, before when I, that excitement you have when you sit down at the poker table, you know, you got some, yeah. you come in, you buy and you get some chips and start playing yeah. poker. That's how I feel. That's how I view sales now. Yeah. Great. Yeah. Okay. So at some point though, you got into high ticket closing. Yeah. So talk to me about high ticket closing. Yeah. High ticket closing for me. And I don't know what the true definition of high ticket is out there for the industry, but you know, anytime you're taking thousands of dollars of credit cards mm-hmm. at, in one clip, it's high ticket sales to some degree. And so we did that once we started selling leads to attorneys, because ultimately what ended up happening is in the timeshare space to leads to attorneys and then ultimately into the REI space. Um, but we just led our teams of being able to extract from customers anywhere between four to, I don't know, $20,000 or so. And majority of the time, one day pitches. Mm-hmm. But once we were able to start doing that to us, that was, it was a, there's nothing more beautiful than swiping a credit card or mm-hmm. getting credit card digits over the phone. Mm-hmm. I mean, 16 digits, read them from left to right. And then just getting those numbers. Or we actually used to have a check printing machine mm-hmm. where they would give us the details and then we could print the check right then and there mm. on our desk. And that smell, there would be like this chrome <laughs> type. Uh, it would just, you printing checks. So anyways, I loved it. But it's it's all the same stuff. It's just a matter of helping people. Truly, first off, you got to really be helping them. Mm-hmm. I think that if you pitch with conviction, really sales is that much easier. I've been blessed to be able to avoid anything where I didn't wasn't able to be able to say it with conviction. Like, mm-hmm. hey, listen, this will impact you. It's a it's a win win. It's got to be a win win situation. But yeah, we've grown a lot in that. What were you selling um, at that time? So the leads to attorneys was the big part of the business. We were finding people who were we were hired by attorneys to find people who felt they were a victim of deceptive trade practices, deceptive sales practices, whatever. And uh, again, adjacent to the timeshare exit industry. Mm -hmm. So I did that for about seven years before I finally got into the real estate space. Yeah. And it's funny, right? To go from timeshare to exit, timeshare exit to deceptive sales practices. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Well, well, we knew it all. We could see it all. And so that was one of the beautiful things. It's like, okay, I've been able to be in the industry close enough to be able to see the goods and the bads. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times you still have good products, but you have bad people. Mm-hmm. And a bad person can really, a, a bad apple can really ruin the whole bushel. So I've just seen it all. I, I've met people who, uh, who I wouldn't want on the phones selling pro- some products just because they're so articulate. They really can talk people out of things. But that, you don't need to do that. You find a great product and a great person. You teach them the fundamentals and you have a successful campaign. Yeah. Um, so, you know, it, talking about cold calling for attorneys, um, I've got, you know, a couple of attorneys that I work with locally. And I say, hey, there's a person that needs your service. Can you reach out to them? They're like, no. Like, yeah. What do you mean, no? Like, we can't reach out to them. It's like, what's the problem? They're saying it's illegal or it's against the uh, statutes. It's like, 
what the hell are you talking about? So talk to me about that. Yeah, so it's not that it's illegal. In most states, it's against the state bar. Yeah. And so the state bar doesn't apply to you. It only applies to people who are actual attorneys. Those are the ones who have to subscribe to the bar. There's a couple of different workarounds, if you will. I don't think any of them are technical workarounds. I think they're just in best practices when dealing with a referral source. But attorneys can't go and do cold outreach for the most part. Mm -hmm. What they can do is they can hire like case managers or leads managers, outside companies to vet and then pre-screen people, get them to a certain level of appetite where they are opting in to speak to an attorney. Mm -hmm. There's different ways to navigate that. But for the most part, most attorneys won't do anything themselves cold outreach it so has to be they, inbound only so how did they hire you how did we first hire we called them on the phones mm -hmm. we just started calling saying hey listen we have this great opportunity we've heard about you guys being in the space we'd like to become a marketing and referral partner because you know attorneys can hire google to run ads mm -hmm. and so they can hire us to also handle a certain part of their marketing arm as well too Gotcha. So that's what we did for a period of time. And we just made sure we did it in full compliance because, you know, if somebody loses their law license, that's, that's a big issue. Major issue. What are some of the craziest uh, war stories you had uh, before you got into real estate? We uh, had a lot of crazy stories with helping consumers. I think um, the one that sticks out the most, unfortunately, is <clears throat> actually, no, that, that was a sad one. One time we helped a uh, the state, the congressman, one of the congress ladies, excuse me, for the state of Florida. So she was a representative. Uh, she was a congress lady for the state of Florida. And it's like, I felt so good about that, you know, because it's like, hold on, wait a minute. And I was like, dude, we got to get her testimonial. Mm -hmm. And so we were able to get a testimonial from her. And so it was just a matter of like most people in any industry be like, oh, Lord, we're helping a politician. This is kind of mm -hmm. crazy. But what later happened, truly one of my craziest stories. So they're passing laws to try to put our industry out of business. And we're like, we got to stop this. Mm -hmm. Let's go find us a politician. They got their own lobbyist group. Let's go find a politician. So we're able to get in touch with somebody out of Tallahassee, one of the congressmen. He invites us to lunch at, in Miami, him and his whole crew. And it's myself and my business partners at the time. And we're like, hey, we got to stop this legislation. Now, I'm a kid from Virginia. I have no business sitting at round tables with politicians. Well, it cost us $50,000 just to be able to call the meeting. Mm -hmm. So we have a check in our hands, sit down at this big fancy seafood restaurant. And I just remember when my business partner, because we're awkward, what do we know about? Um, they don't call it bribing. They say political contributions. Mm -hmm. What do we know about political contributions? And so he hands the check over to the, the congressman directly He's like, oh, I can't take it. And then he takes it real quick and he passes it to the other person. But I just remember that awkward moment where we passed $50,000 over to a politician. And I was just like, what has happened with my life? Like, how did it go from that alarm to now making $50,000 political contributions to stop a law to hurt? I said, okay, this is, we've hit a different level here. This yeah. is different. This is different. And ultimately, we were able to get the law prevented from being passed, whether it was exactly us or not. But he promised us that day, don't worry, not going to make it through. Yeah. Crazy. That's how, that's how the sausage is made. Yes. Um, so you only learned about wholesaling just a short time ago. Yeah, about three years ago. Okay. And so 
at that time you were still working with the attorneys? Yeah, I was okay. still doing the attorneys. Yep. Okay. And so how did you hear about wholesaling? So because of other regulatory headwinds and lawsuits, that ended up going to the wayside. And as that's going out, a, a dear friend of mine who actually worked for me at the travel clubs years prior is a gentleman named Alex Cazada. He was on your podcast recently. And uh, me and him have always maintained really great friendship. He's an entrepreneur that I've always enjoyed just being cordial and friends and buddies with, et cetera, et cetera. And uh, he knew that I was going to be looking for a new uh, opportunity. Mm-hmm. And he was just like, man, he was like, did you got, and I had loaned money for rehabs and stuff throughout the years. Like I was, I knew what he was doing, but I didn't really pay attention. And he was just like, man, if you'll just take this product and put it into your ecosystem, Scott, dude, we'll kill it together. And so I took a couple of weeks with him sitting in his office, just understanding exactly what it was. And once I saw enough, I was like, dude, let's roll. Mm-hmm. So without him, I wouldn't have gotten into this space for sure. So he's wholesaling. He's wholesaling. And he's like, hey, take your skills and put it somewhere else. And partner with me. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And so how seamless was that? It was pretty fun. Yeah. Excuse me. It was pretty. <laughs> it was. We rocked and roll, man. Uh, we did significantly. I, I want to share his numbers. But from his previous year to our first year, we did really, really monster numbers right out of the mm-hmm. gates. And he was already doing really good for him and his brother. Him and his brother had uh, were already in the business. They were doing great. And I love his brother. He's a great entrepreneur as well, too. I just was able to bring in some technology, some sales processes, and more importantly, I think just a different mindset just because I just had a very monster mini 10-figure-a-month, you know, I mean, 10-figure-a-year uh, business and then just that mindset, I was like, okay, cool. This is what we're doing, dude. Let's let's now do this and stack this and stack this. And mm-hmm. before you know it, now we have a, a monster uh, wholesale office in Orlando, Florida. And then we have our office here in Colombia, which is about 200 people. And did you have that office when you first got into uh, wholesaling three years ago? He had, uh, we had, well, he had already. The, uh, the Columbia office. No, 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 no. That came as an accident. After like four months of playing in this industry, mm-hmm. We were doing PPC. My expertise is I really, really love PPC. I can dial in PPC mm-hmm. campaigns. And we started outsourcing cold calling. But every place we outsourced it to sucked. Mm-hmm. Like, I just, I hate it. I hated the results that we were getting. I just, I was spending more time screaming at people like, what is this? Like, I can't take my closer's time away from closing deals to hunt through the BS that you sent to be able to find the one out of 80 leads that I would consider a lead. So ultimately, after a couple of months of that pain of dealing with people, I was like, dude, I'll, t- dude, I'll just go. I'll just, I'll, I will go to Columbia because we had found one office that was okay-ish at it in Columbia. Like, dude, I'll go to Columbia. I'll start up a campaign. I'll retire for a couple of years down there. No biggie, whatever it may be. And uh, I'll, I'll launch it. But it was only supposed to be six to seven agents for myself. But ultimately, it just now has morphed into this big thing. But it was because I was solving a problem that I had in my business, which was underqualified leads mm-hmm. into my closers ecosystem. Uh, talk to me about uh, underqualified leads. What this industry calls a lead, I call a data record. Mm-hmm. And so it blew my mind because people would be like, hey, we sent you four leads. And I'd be like, but we never got any of them on the phone and none of them wanted to sell. And one person, it was their cousin who used to live at the house two years ago. Like, you didn't send me four leads, buddy. You just sent me my data back and you confirmed the phone number. That's all you did. I sent you a sheet and you said, yes, this phone number works. And yes, is that person. So once I started training people, Hey, I needed you to do this into this into this. And so what I realized again is what this industry calls a lead. I call data, 
what this industry calls an opportunity, what I call a lead. And so it's just a matter of raising that bar or in real reality, lowering the lead funnel. Like I want my closers talking to leads at the bottom of the funnel, not the hot, the top part of the funnel. Mm -hmm. It's a, it's a humorous description of, uh, uh, you just confirmed the phone number. <laughs> That's exactly what they do. I think a lot of cold calling companies, will be, their feelings will be hurt uh, if you describe it that way. So one of the things we talked about on the show was how to, how to stop hiring bad cold callers. Yeah. So obviously, you've had, you've had interactions with multiple uh, people in the space. What are you seeing people do a lot of when you say, you know, uh, or biggest mistakes when they're trying to hire a cold caller? I think there's a lot of mistakes that you can make as the person who's hiring them. But I don't think that's necessarily where the focus should go. I think the focus should go on the people that are providing the services. Mm -hmm. And one of the biggest things that really rubbed me the wrong way when I got in this industry as an outsider is how quickly I was able to see that everybody was white labeling the same people from somewhere in the Middle East. And what was happening is I would find people who were like, yeah, I hired this company and they kind of sucked. So then this other guy, I, I bought his thing and then I hired this company and then they, they kind of sucked. So I hired this. And I'm like, bro, you hired the same people three times. It's the same pig with different lipstick on it. Like, is it? Is that, the, is that what happens? <laughs> it's definitely what happens. <laughs> and so it just blew my mind. I was like, okay, so all these people out here are just selling the same package thing over and over and over put in a different brand on it. That's not cool. And then I think there were some lead continuity issues. So it's hard because I hired them at once as well too. Mm -hmm. And they said they were located in one country, found out they were located. And I'm not here to point, uh, go too specific on them. Anybody can reach out to me. I'll, I'll tell you in, in private. But I just, I think that there's a responsibility on lead providers to actually just be transparent. Like I'm in my office daily. I moved my family down there. I live down there. To me, uh, we're a boutique firm, so we don't really handle the masses, if you will. But uh, I think that's the first thing is the responsibility needs to go there. If I were somebody who was looking to hire, I think the goal is to do an in-house team yourself first. Get that, when I say in-house, I mean where you directly manage them, mm -hmm. where you have full oversight and control over them. And then once you get to a certain size, then find somebody like myself or one of, our, uh, one of my competitors or myself who's a true enterprise level call center, because at a certain scale, you need to be able to focus more on doing revenue producing activities than lead generating. But for most people's initial journey, I love to see they hire one VA, they get it mastered. Cool. Then they add two of them, they get it mastered. And then they get the three, but right around the time you get like four or five, that's when you're like, Oh, I need to hire Lamasu mm -hmm. because that's the time where it's now taking more of your time than it is beneficial. Right. Time to turn it over. Now you're managing people. Yes. Uh, what uh, what does enterprise level mean? So for me, it means an abundance of technology and training that doesn't exist anywhere else in the industry. So enterprise level, for everything from our tech stack to how we, without getting too technical, but how we swap outbound ANIs, how we're monitoring live spam likely, how we have our map uh, pen feature where people can view their leads, how they're popping up on the map, how they're popping up by scores. We track file sources, skip sources, cohort sources. Like we just have this whole ecosystem there that's never been brought to this industry. I didn't know that. I just said, well, hey, I would need to know this. Like, okay, we called 10,000 numbers today and we got X amount of leads. 
But okay, what skip provider was that? Oh, how'd that compare to this other one? Are we running analytics on that? Okay, well, what about the data provider? Okay, are we running on that? What about the cohort? Like what percentage of those were motivated, owner-occupied, absentee, pre-foreclosure? And are we looking at this on a grand scale? Most people don't have the opportunity to do that in their business. So we as the enterprise, we have the infrastructure to do it at the click of a mouse. And so that's when we say we bring enterprise level, we're bringing that to all of our affiliates out there. Yeah, and I think that's super key because that's something that we do internally. Exactly. Right. It's like, okay, so here's a list uh, of people to call, right? And then um, whether we're skip tracing it with this service or that service, we don't know. We have, to, we have to audit periodically. Hey, you know, are we still liking this skip trace service? Right. So I think there's, there's that. And then um, you're saying cohort. So you're saying who's the occupant? Is that what is that? We say cohort. So for me, a cohort means, you know, what motivator sources are there? Mm-hmm. And so you'll have somebody who's like, hey, uh, I'm dealing with a guy right now who just bought a list in Indianapolis, and his buy box is very narrow because he only wants to feed one particular hedge fund. Mm-hmm. And so his, his availability of motivators are very negligible. He's pretty much got all owner-occupied. He doesn't have many pre-foreclosure options. He doesn't have many probate options. He doesn't have many divorce, water shutoff. He's missing a lot of those cohorts because his, his, his search criteria is so small. And so for us, when we have a little bit more free room, we can say, hey, listen, for this campaign, he's going to need about 50,000 records every quarter. Okay, let's pull cash buyer density search. Let's see what type of motivators those houses were. Let's now look at our call center data, what's performing best in this region. Okay, this list is performing best in this region. And then we can advise somebody like, hey, out of 50,000 records, we would suggest you buy 25,000 of this, 12,000 of this, 8,000 of this, 3,000, blah, blah, blah. And so those different motivators are what we call cohorts in Mm -hmm. our business. So you guys are actively tracking this or Oh, at scale. Okay. I think that somebody on Wall Street one day is going to catch wind and be like, I need what you guys got down there. Yeah. Well, definitely. I mean, if you're tracking that level of data, and that's, like, that's the advantage of running a larger company is yeah. that you are, if you're providing service to multiple people, you can kind of see what's working, what's not working. You know, it's like uh, Jason Lewis you know, with Investor Machine. Yes. And I just love when I talk to him, he's like, oh, yeah. That direct mail piece won't work in Phoenix. It'll work in Jacksonville, but it won't work in Phoenix. Like, how do you know this? Like, because we have clients in Jacksonville and Phoenix. Yeah. Right? So it's just, it's amazing. Once you have enough data, you can see like, okay, this will work over here. This will work over here. Or this will probably work over here. This will probably work over there. But, you know, we don't see this kind of stuff work in this particular region. Yeah. I definitely see it on cold calling. to be people who call me up with certain markets and I'm like, buddy, that's going to be tough. Like, you know, we just can see it on the calls to answer because cold calling is basic KPIs. It's like how many attempts to an answer, how many answers to a lead, how many leads to contract. Mm -hmm. And it's just like, and you know that in some markets, I can take that same amount of attempts and produce 15 leads. But in this market, it produces three. Mm -hmm. And so there's just institutional knowledge. Like you said, when you're at the scale, we're doing about 1.8 to 2 million dials a week, Mm -hmm. a week out of our office. Yeah. 2 million dials is a lot. Thanks. Um, so if you were in the Phoenix market, yeah, or you were advising someone in the Phoenix market, mm-hmm. hey Scott, I want to get I want to get started in Phoenix. I would tell them to choose a different market. <laughs> I don't know, man. What have you found in Phoenix? Um, so here's what I found in Phoenix. I think that Phoenix is a great market if you are here locally in this market. Mm-hmm. Um, myself, Alex, my other business partners, you know, some of my affiliates, we could choose to be in any market in the nation that we want to be in. We have the flexibility at 2 million dials to be, there's a reason why we're not in Phoenix. Mm-hmm. Not that it's a bad market. It's not that you guys don't have beautiful spreads. 
But if I got to go running, I don't want to choose to run uphill. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of other markets with very, very nice spreads with less competition, less consumer education. And I think a lot of times your, your market has a lot of, there is no blue ocean here. No, there's none. There's right. not a single person I can call who hasn't been called seven times already this week. Mm-hmm. I sometimes like to call the markets where they've only been called seven times this quarter. Yeah. And so there's a difference in there. Also, your median home price is high. And the higher the home price, we find that the higher the education level is. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't mean that they're less receptive to sell. It just means higher education level means less receptive to answer unknown numbers. So even though ours aren't spam likely, it's still an unknown number. This is not people in a community in which burner phones are prevalent. So therefore, they always answer unknown numbers. And so what I would just say is that if you're here locally in the, on the boots on the ground, great. I think that that matters a lot. I've watched a lot of people try to come in from, let's say, Virginia into Arizona and Phoenix going to get your teeth kicked in. Yeah, I don't know why anyone would ever do that. Cost per deal here is so high, and your cost per lead here is very, very high. Mm-hmm. Um, do I think that you can be successful cold calling? Sure. Do, on any other marketing channel, if you put enough effort behind it. Um, but realistically, I don't like it um, for myself, and I don't like it for my clients because there's such a bevy, there's such a, uh, a buffet of other beautiful markets, if you're truly virtual as we are. So, I mean, if you were to pick another market right now. I don't want to blow up uh, too many of my affiliates. So I'll speak in <laughs> generalities because I know the hottest markets in the nation. Yeah. Steve, I got, I got two kids in the Northeast. In the Northeast. We'll just leave it there. It's not the biggest state. It's not the smallest state. Mm-hmm. But these kids are in, like, their mom's basement. I don't know if they're really in their mom's basement anymore. I think they were when they first started. But it's just two kids. Every time we Zoom with them, they're in a the basement. They are printing money. Mm-hmm. everybody's ignoring the Northeast. Yeah. The Northeast, there's some deals there. And stay out. I would stay out of Boston. You don't need to do the major, major cities. But there's states up there that are just amazing. Um, we have guys, obviously, the Carolinas. Carolina is becoming like the new Arizona, if you will. Like everybody's flooded into the Carolinas, particularly North Carolina right now. It's still a great market. I love the panhandle of Florida. I love Jacksonville. Um, I love any Midwest, and I love all redneck markets. Mm-hmm. You know, Steve. You get somebody on the phone like, oh, sugar, I don't want to hang up on you. You're like, <laughs> all right, let's stay in that market. That's a big difference between calling Little Rock, Arkansas, than it is the Bronx. Mm-hmm. It's just two different people. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, I like the Northeast right now. I like the Midwest. Texas is still great. Um, I'm not a f- big, big fan of Arizona, Nevada, or California, although I do have some big clients in California. Yeah. You know, someone was saying, like, they loved uh, when they went over to Arkansas. They moved, Actually, specifically, they went to Arkansas. They're like, yeah, you know, we're going from Arkansas to Phoenix. Um, when they were in uh, Phoenix, they're getting hung up on, they're getting cursed out, this and that. And then they go to uh, Arkansas. I was like, well, no, it's not the right, it's not the right number, but I hope you find them. <laughs> That's great. Yeah. So um, now talk to me about building the culture, right? Because, I mean, again, uh, watching what you guys have done there is impressive. But talk to me about the culture you built over there. Yeah, you know, somebody the other day said, hey, Scott, what's your one superpower? And I hadn't really thought about that in a while. Before I would think, oh, entrepreneur, et cetera. I think it's building a sales culture. Mm-hmm. I think that uh, that's something I've been so ingratiated in, and I've been so deep in many different sales cultures. Um, I think that's something that I, I, I'd like to think that I do really well at. Um, and building a sales culture in another culture was definitely dynamic, Um but I think everybody still wants the same thing. People want to be challenged. People want to see a reward for that challenge. 
People want to be held accountable. One of the things I always tell my team is people don't do what you expect, they do what you inspect. Mm -hmm. And so one of the things in our office is we've built a culture of oversight. Not oversight because I'm a helicopter boss, but oversight because there is another level to it. There's always an opportunity for refining yourselves. And when you're in a steel sharpened steel type of environment, and you're in an environment where the weak people don't want to stay in that environment. You know, like if you underproduce in my office, it's not that we're going to laugh you out of there, but you will feel so much pressure to want to be up there and have your name and clapping for you that you will either weed yourself out or you will adhere to our principles to be able to elevate yourself. So um, building a culture, it's it's been a great blessing there. Yeah, and I, you know, I got exposed. I mean, I heard about you before, but I got exposed to you because, you know, you and I were both speaking in the same room at Collective Genius. Yeah. Right? So uh, we had... Um, Travis on, on, on Eric's team, and then you, and then myself. And I'm watching this like, wow, like that's a real company, Thank you. right? Like when you look at most call centers, most cold calling companies, they tend to be VAs and they tend to be like sporadic. Yeah, you know, it's like um, you, you look at these spy movies, like they're they're cell sites, right? Like mm-hmm. we're gonna activate yeah. <laughs> the agents, right? They're all over the country or the world. Yeah. But you have like an actual location. So I really appreciate like the presentation you made because I could see how proud you are of the culture. One of the things that like, you know, I really appreciated was the soccer ball. Mm. So, you know, talk to me about the, the soccer ball. Yeah. And so there's probably eight of them in my office. Every team lead has one. But we have a soccer ball. And on every little diamond of the soccer ball, there is a objection on there. And then so what we'll do is we'll just go up to everybody. We'll either stand in a circle. We'll sometimes come up to them while they're in the middle of one of their calls or between calls. We'll throw them the soccer ball. They'll catch it. And then, boom, they have to read out whatever rebuttal is right there. And then they have to give that objection. So, like, how did you get my number? Uh, I'm busy. Not right now. Uh, you tell me what it's worth. I'm not going to tell you. Um, all the different common rebuttals that they get are on that soccer ball. And it's just a way to train them because people – you know, they, they say practice till you make perfect. No, it's like amateurs practice till they get it right. Professionals practice till they can't get it wrong. Mm-hmm. And can you be walking down the hallway and all of a sudden somebody throw you a soccer ball, get it, answer it, and then continue your conversation. Yeah. That level of understanding your objections and rebuttals is what we strive to accomplish at my office. How did you guys, how are you training your people to be at that level of preparedness? So we have a whole university. Like we have, if you... Some of the video content, I really should promote it or show it a little bit more, but we have about 32, I think, actual desks, you know, where the, the thing flips down and we have a professor or a teacher that stands up in the front. But we spend two weeks on just real estate 101, full classroom style, digital learning, in-class learning, paper, test, everything. So we start with just two weeks of real estate. Then we go into two weeks of sales fundamentals, and then they go into a soft 30 only work in my campaigns. And if they can graduate from that 60 days, then they can go into general population out there with the rest of the phone assassins. Got it. Okay, so first 30 days, strictly training. First 30 days, strictly classroom training and some you know, role-playing, obviously. But the first 15 days are real estate 101 because I have to take kids who don't know what the word yard sign means. Mm-hmm. Have them understand what a soffit is or an awning or a gutter or a shutter or a stud or what the word underwater means. No, it doesn't mean you have a house by the river. Yeah. You know, and so being able to train these people. And when I first hired VAs out in the um, Philippines or the Egypt, it was like, I would hear chickens in the background. And it's like, 
what is this? I would listen to recordings. You would hear chicken in the background. And I remember one call I listened to from a VA where the guy was like, oh, it's down to the studs. And this girl had only heard the word stud, I assume, from like Hollywood movies, like a handsome man or something. And she was so thrown off. And she was like, what? It's that there's studs like it. And just her struggling like stud means handsome man and not like stud as in it's down to the two by fours. Mm -hmm. And so to make sure that our guys never do that, they spend a month in really classroom training before they can have the opportunity to even soft hit the phones. Yeah. The other thing, too, I liked in your demonstration was that um, whenever even besides the soccer ball, right? Like there's other things that are said and in you guys, um, what's it? Is it intake? What do you, yeah. what do you guys call it? But whenever this is said, you just click on this and then. Yeah. So one of the most awkward things in any conversation is lack of fluidity. Mm -hmm. And so we have what we call our word track built into our intake form. And so our word track, even if it's like, it has like seller, personality types, right? It's like seller is talkative, seller is reluctant to speak. So da, da, da. like we can just click these buttons while we're in the word track to be able to provide our affiliates all these notes on the on the seller. So that way when you get one of our leads, it's like a really, our average intake call is like 14 to 17 minutes long. Mm -hmm. But the notes on top of that that you get are so exhaustive. Now, if we were sitting there manually trying to, okay, ma'am, can you hold on one second? Seller is very, you know, you wouldn't want that. So mm -hmm. we've really built out our technology. So our word track is built into our form. Our calculators are built there and we can have a high level conversation. Yeah. So, um, yeah, anyway, yeah, it's really, really impressed with that, with that, uh, Thank you. conversation. So, um, one thing that you, you, you mentioned with me was that you don't want to bring in everybody, right? Like, yeah. um, you could, you know, go and create ads. You can go have all these people come through, but you don't really want everybody to come through. You don't no. want all the wholesalers. No. And it's very strategic because, like I said, this is my jet ski. I don't want to be miserable. I want to work with awesome people. And, dude, some of my affiliates are some of the biggest and best in the game. They're cool guys, gals. Um, and I know that I'm their strategic partner. I'm not their call center guy. And I don't ever want to be somebody's call center guy. I'm your strategic partner. Either we're going to do this to be, like, highly profitable and rock and roll and create an impact. We're just not going to do it. Um, and so I do a lot of pre-screening. You know, my avatar started, hey, I would never deal with anybody who's newbies. It was like typically you had to do one to three deals a month minimum, and then I would entertain having a conversation. Then the avatars continue to rise and continue to rise. And so I would assume my average affiliate is probably doing eight to 15 deals a month. And I have some whales, too, that are doing mm -hmm. monster volume a month. Um, but yeah, I like, I like the more established guy because they understand how to treat a lead. Their sales guys know how to treat a lead. They actually take the analytics that we provide them and make them into action items for their team. So yeah, the higher than the client, the better that they do. Yeah. Um, what were you finding? Cause I have, I have similar, yeah. right. Uh, metrics, right? Like if you've never done a deal, like I'm not your coach. Like it just, yeah. it's not going to work. Yeah. Uh, what What were you finding before you were instituting these standards? You know, nothing hurts my soul more in business than somebody who doesn't love my lead as much as I love the lead. Yeah. I shouldn't be the marketing guy and care more about that lead than you do. Mm -hmm. The moment that that happens, I know we have a disconnect. Oh uh, yeah, I called him. Uh, I called him twice on uh, last Thursday. They didn't answer, so I sent a text, and I, I haven't called him since. I'm like, bro, what are you What are you saying, bro? I'm like, you, you called this lead twice and. 30 days and you just gave up. No, no. I called him and the husband said the wife uh, wasn't home. So, you know, I just left my number and said the wife should ask the wife to call me back. And 
been 40 days. It's like, you ain't ever calling back. It's like, dude, I can't, I can't love this. I can't love the game more than you. And so what I found is the people that are already doing more volume, they just take it more seriously. They're not hobbyists. Mm -hmm. They're entrepreneurs. I want the guys that are hungry for this. I want the guys that wake up and are excited about going into the office. And so I find the higher the deal volume, obviously the more that they love the leads. Right. So, and that makes total sense. They're running an actual business. Yes. And their salespeople are also held accountable. So there's no like, oh, I didn't get to it. Yeah. Right. There are consequences for, I didn't get to it. Um, How are you guys generating the leads? Right. Actually, before you answer that question, if you guys are watching, you guys are wondering why there's candy here. You want to talk, you want to talk about this candy? <laughs> yeah, uh, they're so good. So I told him I'd bring them some Colombian treats when I flew in. Yeah. And so it's just chocolate-covered uh, coffee. Uh, I mean, coffee beans, chocolate-covered. And then I brought them some. So in there. So it was just all kinds of guys. If you've never been to Colombia, it's one of the most gorgeous countries. Obviously, the coffee's amazing. The people are amazing. But, yeah, I just wanted to bring a little token from Colombia with you. And I get, get, get your closers fired up, too. Oh, yeah. No, they're going to get some. Yeah. <laughs> like, you know, I brought some stuff to share. I was like, I don't really need to share. It's like, they'll get them hyped up. All right, we'll share. Yeah. <laughs> All right, they'll, be more, they'll be more productive. We'll share it with them. Don't give it to the kids. Yeah. Okay, so how, why you, right? Like, there's no shortage of, of um, cold call operations, companies, yeah. whatever. I mean, I've worked with uh, a handful yeah. myself. Why should I go with Lamasu versus anybody else? Yeah, um, I think there's definitely no shortage of VAs and VA companies. The industry's got plenty of them. I'm not really sure there's another cold call company like mm-hmm. anywhere in our stratosphere. We're true, all everybody works in-house, 200 people in-house. If you haven't seen uh, Instagram at Lamasu Leads or LamasuLeads.com, you can see a lot more behind the scenes. But I couldn't replicate the culture that we have down there if I wasn't there leading the ship and we hadn't built it all under one roof. And so I think the, the main reason is that I'm also in this space. And so I wouldn't send you, if you were my client, a lead I wouldn't send myself. Mm-hmm. So I'm not just doing hourly arbitrage. That's the whole, it's the, it's the bane to me of this industry is that most people are just, hey, I found this guy for four, I'm gonna sell him to you for six, there you go, welcome to my VA company. Mm-hmm. Like, come on, bro, like, let, let's have some accountability here. So I'm in this space and I know what a quality lead is. I know what it takes to generate a deal. I understand the conversations need to happen. I understand it needs to happen pre and post the lead being generated. And so I think somebody hires us if they're tired of worrying about that and they have lack of consistency. Consistency, you can't scale inconsistent results. You just can't. There's no way. It should be this amount of cash equals this amount of dials, which equals this amount of leads, which equals this amount of contract. And once you have consistency, now you actually have a cost per deal. And mm-hmm. then you can say, hey, we want now more of those. And can we afford more of those? So, yeah. So, if I hire Lamasu, am I getting a um, number of hours of work or am I getting leads? What is the deliverable when I, when I work with you guys? Yeah. So, it's the dials. Mm-hmm. So, the number of dials that you get. And so, like, I think our smallest package – currently is 3,000 dials a day or 2,500 dials a day. I'm unsure. I'm sorry. Mm -hmm. That's our smallest package. Most people are are in higher packages. But so depending on the market, that amount of dials will equal X amount of leads. And then X amount of leads always equals a certain amount of contract. But yeah, people are paying for dials. And they're paying also obviously not to have to train anybody. They're not managing the dollar. They're not swapping out phone numbers. They're doing nothing other than after we've set up the tech structure that we have to integrate into their CRM, 
literally just accepting the lead or we live transfer. Mm. God, I love live transfers. Nobody in this industry was doing live transfers. I said, man, what's wrong with you guys? If I got Gladys Smith on the phone and she wants 42% of ARV, she's ready to talk to somebody now. You guys tell me I got to send it to you and wait for your closers? No, let's get integrated into your phone system. I'm live transferring Gladys Smith to you now. Yeah. So we do that as well. Um, was that a challenge, like making that happen? It wasn't a challenge. It was mind-boggling, though, how many people are like, yeah, our closers, uh, we'd, uh, you know, we typically have a leads manager who calls them first. And so our closers don't talk to leads first. I'm like, bro, fire your leads manager. What do you need a leads manager for? If your leads are good enough, they should go directly from the source to the closer, depending on maybe if you're face-to-face -face or virtual. So my, that was my biggest thing is helping people understand like, no, bro, if the lead's good enough, let's start pitching right away. Mm -hmm. let, let's, there's such things as one call closes. These things happen. And if not, you should go from lead to conversation to building rapport, then do your diligence, research, whatever, and then close. So, you know, making a statement that we can just skip the lead manager here is a bold statement. I appreciate it. Yep. So what is the exact quality of the lead? Like, how are you so, or what, what about the lead makes you so confident that, that we can just hand this off to a closer? The inverse side of it is why do lead managers exist in the first place? Sure. I think the bulk reason why is because leads weren't qualified enough. It was mainly just, hey, this number and this name matched. So I call it a heartbeat in a home. Most VAs in wherever countries, but most VAs, people who watch this have VAs who send heartbeats in a home. <gasps> they have a heartbeat. They have a home. There you go. What are you going to do with that other than clog up your system? So then you have to hire a leads manager, which is VA number two. Yeah. And the VA number two is going to call them up and say, hey, did you at least have a price or did you have a ballpark? Okay, they're a little bit more warmer. Now I'm going to send it to my closer, which you've really made VA number three because he shouldn't have been talking to 90% of them anyways. So our intake form that you saw at Collective Genius that I demoed, about 14 to 17 minutes long to complete that entire form. We're building rapport. We're creating urgency. We're finding out all their house details. But it is no small feat to keep somebody on the phone for 14 minutes in a pleasant conversation. Mm -hmm. At the end, we obviously get a motivation, which you talked about well in your speech, uh, motivation, a timeline, and then 100% of every lead that I get out of my office, we get a seller asking price. Mm -hmm. So we have a price, and then we gauge that we score their price. A price, a timeline, a motivation, and they finished, they finished a 14 to 17-minute call. Yeah. So what kind, of, what kind of expectations are you setting for your clients on the leads that are coming across? No higher than one out of 20. Yeah. When I send you my national, I have guys that are one out of 12. Occasionally somebody will send me like, hey, I'm one out of seven with your leads this month. I'm like, well, next month you're going to be one out of 25. Like, I know how this works. Yeah. Like, it, on average, blend it. You should never be higher with a Lamasu lead than one out of 20. Mm -hmm. Which still, after all that work, it means you got to go through 19 no's to get one yes. Mm -hmm. It's just the reality of it all. But I would much rather have an ecosystem where it's that consistent. And it's not like, okay, well, I got 80 leads and I couldn't get 65 on the phone and I got this. Like I've had people call me up and they're like, hey, man, but I'm used to feeding my guys 10 to 15 leads a day. I don't know if I could do just three or four. I'm like, I, I, I appreciate that. But you're used to also having your guys not call, not get in touch with those 15 leads. Like they're not answering. They're not real leads. So let's now have them focused on revenue producing activities. And so that's how we're so confident. We know that, hey, for every lead we send over, sub one out of 20 is where you should be. I have some guys that murder it, and some guys, I'm sure they're a little bit higher than one out of 20, but one out of 20 is a comfortable number. And then as far as the quality of the lead, I know like one out of 20, uh, but as far as like, you know, are they expressing 
they want to sell in 30 days? Are they selling? Are they expressing? I want to sell it for 80% of market value. Like what are some other things you're looking at? So I'll talk about the, the three key components, motivation, timeline, and price. You know, I think one of the things that really irritated me about this industry is that everybody's leads from any vendor you would buy would be like, what is their motivation? Because you called with a cash offer. They would sell for the right price. It's like, gosh, how many people in this industry are accepting that on every single lead? Mm. The seller said that they would sell for the right offer. That, that's your motivation? Mm. How about we ask better questions? How about we train people to ask feeling questions? Hey, Mr. Jones, what would this mean to you to be able to get this property? How will you feel the day? What are you going to do the day when you leave that closing office with that big old check? So one of the things we're really good at is trying to get to the real why. Mm-hmm. And then timelines, all of our timelines are always within 90 days. And one of the things that we trade on, too, is people don't – it's not what you say, it's what people hear. Mm-hmm. So a lot of times you're asking people their timelines, and they think, oh, my gosh, well, I have to sell it. No, it's just a matter of understanding exactly – well, yeah, you, of course, we could put you under contract, but it's still not going to close for 90 days and educating people. But all of our leads have a real motivation, really, really a, attempt to dig in on that 90 days and less. And then all of them have a price. But then we train people on RDP, reactionary defense pricing. We know that every single seller is going to give us a nonsense price first. So we restate value. We restate pain from the motivation. Then we command or ask for a reduction we're able to drive down the price prior to my affiliates ever talk to the leads. Our goal is to have 80 to 90% of all the leads that we send be sub 70% of ARV. Yeah. So if I send a lead to you that wants 62% and they just finished a 14 to 17 minute call, that's a Lamasu lead. Yeah. So, um, you know, for you guys that are paying attention right now, so uh, we are, we are endorsing uh, Scott. I, again, I was thoroughly impressed with your presentation. You. I had a long conversation uh, with you afterwards. So, uh, you guys are interested in checking out what Scott's doing? It's callcenterdisruptors.com. Callcenterdisruptors.com. Um, so the, co- the conversations you guys are having, I mean, these sound like acquisition questions, right? Like these are the questions close because you know the way, we, the way we talk about, it, right? We got to set proper expectations, get them super emotional, yep. right? Find out the motivation, the deep pain, uh, what's the upside if they sell it, and what, what's the downside if they don't sell it, and then we go to price, yep, right. And all those questions we're asking, like, how do you feel? What would happen if? Hypotheticals and this and that. Getting them to imagine it, and then the, they will feel those feelings even while they're imagining it. Right. You're asking all those questions right now up mm-hmm. front on a cold call. So, yeah, I mean, these sound like they're very, very motivated. Yeah, I think yeah, I've had somebody say, hey, Scott, I don't know what my closers would talk about if I hired your services. And in my head, I said, wow, how ye of little faith of your closers Because my objective isn't to make the closer's consultation one minute shorter. Mm -hmm. If they dare cut a corner because of my leads, they have failed and broken the system. It isn't for you to have a shorter consultation. You still got to build rapport. You still got to create value. You still need Mm -hmm. to talk about everything that you would normally do. You still need to do is just to put you in front of better leads on every single call, not to shortcut. Wholesaling is already the shortcut. You can't shortcut the shortcut. Just follow the process. Sure. Uh, And then you're wearing a shirt that says Lamasu. Yeah. What does Lamasu mean? Thank you for asking. <laughs> I get it a lot. So this is my last great company. So I've had two bigger companies before. One was the timeshare exit business and then the lead sales business. And we've always had mascots in my company. The last one was the Eagle. The one before that was a lion. So this is it. You know, I, this is my grand finale, if you will. And started researching the first time uh, Eagle and a lion ever appeared together as a god or a deity ever in in mankind. And it goes back to Assyria, which is now modern-day Iraq. 
But so 5,000 some years ago, the Assyrians had a deity called Lamasu, which was a lion and an eagle together. And so the reason why I chose those two animal spirits and then this is just because I always tell, we train our staff. We're not hyenas, we're lions. We're not scavengers. We're not laughing. We're out there and we eat what we kill. You know, so we're lions and not hyenas. We're eagles. We're not ducks. We're not waiting for breadcrumbs. We're not flying low. We're soaring high. And so for us, every one of my guys know, hey, listen, we have the spirit of a lion, we have the spirit of an eagle. These two things mean something. This is a protector spirit. And so we created Lamasu Media with that intention. I like it. Um, what were some of the biggest victories you've experienced in this journey? In the real estate space? In your entrepreneurial journey. Sales and entrepreneurial journey. It's very easy. Because of sales. <sighs> Maybe six years ago, seven years ago, Christmas morning over Zoom, my parents, myself, my wife, uh, my, my parents were on Zoom in Virginia, and I, we were here in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. And uh, they got a big box, and they opened it up. Inside of it was a small box. And then inside of that small box was one of those hide-a-key boxes. And inside of that hide the key was a blank key. And underneath of that blank key was a check pre-written out for a significant amount of money. And I bought my parents their first house. I mean, excuse me, I didn't buy their first house, but I was able to buy my parents a house for Christmas. Ended up being a very big game changer for the family and so forth. And so, yeah, man, being able to buy my parents a house. Yeah. And I've bought myself a lot of cool stuff, but nothing's been better than buying my parents a house, man. That's awesome. And we actually see it quite a bit, you know, with our sales guys that we interview and this and that. It's like, what's your big hairy goal? You know, like, why mm. Why are you here? Why Why do you want to work here? What's important to you? You know, like, how? what would be a, mean, a, a meaningful accomplishment or whatever? Just different variations of the same question. Yeah. And here and there, we hear, like, well, I'm buying my parents a house. Yeah. Right? Uh, so I think it's super, you know, inspirational. So talk to me, like, what was it like? when you were able to give your parents a house? So seeing your dad, who's a big manly, my dad's 6'3", big dude. He ain't playing around. He's not the type of guy that uh, you expect to crumble. But boy, watching them cry that morning, was, uh, it, was, it was deep. It meant a lot, too. And it was all the hard work that you put into this because I grind my face off. I, 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 I don't know how many other entrepreneurs I know that grind harder than me. And so, and this was seven years ago, eight years ago when I bought, I bought him that house. But watching them and then hearing the stories that you don't know about people that are closest to you. I'm closest to my parents more than any other human beings in the world. But then finding out what other issues were going on in their own personal lives and how much this financial reprieve actually meant above and beyond, it blew my mind. I was like, well, why didn't you guys tell me this? And why, I didn't know this. And what? But it just opened up so much. And so watching them be emotional and then feel that relief that they had, it was cool, man. Because it's like, they busted their butt for me. Dude, I, I know, I remember as a kid, all the sacrifices that they made. So to be able to reward them in just that little way uh, meant the world to me. That's awesome. Uh, one thing we talk about, you know, we open the show with, is, you know, we, we believe the fastest way to become a millionaire is to get really good at sales. Yeah. So you obviously have had a unique experience. Talk to me, you know, your perspective on that message? You know, I think that uh, sales is, 
a craft like any other craft. Like you want to be the best at uh, basketball. You want to be the best at uh, purse making. You want to be the best at anything. It's going to take repetition and dedication. And so I, I buy my guys sales books all the time. But what's the point of buying a sales book if you don't read it and if you don't put it into action? Uh, as a youth, we used to call it scripting. Me and my buddies would get together and we would cook out, but we would literally just practice objections and rebuttals. Like we knew that this was our opportunity out of this life. And so I think that uh, you just to get good in sales, you have to do it. You just you consume and then execute, consume and execute. And it's really changed my life. Yeah, I mean, that's one of the things that um, the message that or, or what we're hanging our hat on is that uh, sales is the only way you can make more money without spending more money, Amen. right? Like you've got the leads, you've got, um, or I guess put another way, right? Like most operators have got their mar- marketing dialed in one way or another. It's pretty close, yep. right? Like it's not like one guy is significantly better at marketing. Like these are slight edges yes. in marketing, right? Operations, pretty slight edge now because you look at in Collective Genius, you got some massive, massive operators. And the difference between someone like Eric Brewer's operation versus mine is night and day. He's far ahead, right? Yeah. But the map is there and we are closing that gap over time. Yes. So then, if operations is a gap that can be closed or at least closer, and marketing is a gap that can be closed, probably the easiest gap to close then the difference between a good sales team and a bad sales team is the sales people. Yeah. So, I mean, how do you feel about that? You know, if I were to give any newbie advice in this industry, I'll tell you why in a second, but it would be it takes time to take homes. Mm -hmm. And too many people want to go fast through this. This is these people's biggest assets that they have for the most part. This house is the biggest financial decision that they'll ever make, and they made it twice when they bought it and now when they sell it to you. And I see so many people that want to just slam through the consultation. I know when I first got into this industry, there was a guy who was pitching the seven minute and less offers. My God, he did so much damage to this industry. So much damage to this industry by that being the concept that he was teaching. Wow. Because it takes time. You want to build rapport. You want these people to choose you and then to understand why they should choose you. And so I think for the, the, the lack of, of sales oversight, understanding people's KPIs, but also it's a lot of the blind leading the blind. Mm-hmm. It's it's also the reason why I love people who have hired other cold calling companies first because now they can appreciate ours. Right. Like if you're just a big baller, you spent all this money on TV and all of a sudden you come over to us and we're your first cold calling company, it's going to hit different. Mm-hmm. But if you've struggled the past couple of years and you're like, oh my God, you come over here, we're the best of the best. So my issue is, is that I have a lot of people in this industry, I think, who they themselves as the CEO or the sales leaders have never really taken the time to buy the courses, to study the courses, to do the same things by following in guys like your shadows, to learn sales and then teach it. Every CEO should be able to pick up the phone and close the deal themselves. If you're an owner operator in this business and you can't pick up the phone and close the deal yourself, I think you're going to have a problem. Right. Yeah, I think absolutely that's true. I mean, how can they, how can you teach or inspect? Yes. But you can't do yourself. Exactly. Uh, what is your why? I know you touched on it a moment ago, but what is your why? You know, uh, personal, professional, I, I have a couple of them. I think my overarching right now is what type of impact I can make on the youth that surround me. So mm-hmm. whether it's in Colombia or my family, whether it's, you know, one day when I come back to the States, but 
I'm blessed enough that if I don't want to work, I don't have to. I'm blessed enough that if I wanted to walk away from the industry, I can. But I get up and push myself every day to lead by example because I want these kids to see what's possible. Like, and I'm not the the shining example of everything, right? But there's a lot of what I what I love telling the kids is, you know, who in here thinks they need more money? They need money more than I do. Who in here thinks that they need a car more than I do? Who in blah blah blah? Who in here? So then, why am I the hungriest guy in a room full of two? Why is the guy with the most money the hungriest person in this room? And I I say that with love because I'm pushing myself the way I want them to push themselves. Because mm-hmm. if they can push themselves in my shadow and beyond, then they'll have everything that they want out of life. And I truly believe, and this is an adage for mine from way back, you help enough people get what they want out of life, you can get everything that you want out of life. So I'm helping as many of these kids, I hope, get everything that they want out of life by being a good example, by sacrificing and dedicating for them, so that way they're inspired to do it for themselves and for their family and their kids. Why is that important? For them to accomplish that, dude, <laughs> this is personal uh, kind of thoughts that I've always, but you know, in two generations, three generations, who am I? Mm-hmm. And my own great grandkids will probably never know my name. Yeah. <laughs> and so to be able to have this type of like ripple effect in the pond of life right now by helping so many kids' lives, it wasn't my original objective. It's always been kind of selfish. It was just myself, my family, et cetera, et cetera. But now seeing the impact that I can have here, and it's just by sharing my story and it's just by leading by example. It's fairly easy and it's a challenge that I want. I want to see how many kids, I love what you said, create as many millionaires as you guys are creating. And I don't know how many, I know I've made a couple of guys millionaires, um, but I don't know how many of these kids will ultimately become millionaires, but I'm confident that all of them will improve their life because I was in their life. And like, that's what's going to matter. I take screenshots of all these beautiful messages these kids send me. And I know one day, God bless me, I'm able to exit life the way I want to, and I know it, but I'll just go through that phone in that folder, and I'll just read all these messages of all yeah. these kids' lives that I've impacted. It means a lot to me. Yeah, and I, and I like what you said. You know, you don't need it. You can yeah. stop today, right? Like, it's the, when I first got started, I got started for greed, right? I'm not yeah, sure. Of course. I got started for greed. And then w- the first time you make an impact on another yeah. human being, that's addicting, yeah. Right. Like you want to do more of that. That's way more fulfilling than dollars. Yeah. Um, and then the other thing too, you know, we haven't really talked about this very much on the show. Actually, we haven't talked about it at all. So you wouldn't even know about this if you guys didn't watch the show with Alex Quezada. Yeah. You have real estate, you have businesses, you don't need this Yeah. at all. So when you come on here and you're talking about Lamasu, you're talking about cold calling center or cold call center, and all these different services being like a, a provider, a partner, a strategic partner for another operator, you actually don't even need the business. Right. Right. You already have. I mean, how many, how many, how much real estate do you have you have? I literally asked him to tech I have to go to Alex all the time to ask him because <laughs> we just locked up another self-storage facility yesterday. I don't know. We're south of 20 right now, but we we have a lot of self-storage facilities. We have a lot of multifamilies. Uh, we're very, very blessed. Uh, we did 84 wholesale transactions. We put under contract in the last 60 days. Um, plus, we have our monster call center. We have a little data company. Like, we have all these things going on. So, also, revenue is a driver, right? I like money, right? right? But it's not the why. But I love all these other things because I've been blessed 
to be able to execute on them. And right. And like, I want to improve my life and I want these kids to see like, yo, this one guy's doing all that shit. If I just do one twentieth of that, I'll mm-hmm. rock and roll. Yeah. But it just goes back to the why though, right? Like the reason why it's so important, you want to, you know, help all these, uh, younger, uh, Colombians. Yeah. Cause you actually don't have to do it. Yeah. Right. That's their proof. This is your why. You don't have to do. You already have all these self storage units. You already have multifamily. You already have. You already wholesale actively. Not you doing it. Alex yeah. is running that side, but you have a wholesaling business. Yeah. So I just want to kind of like you know add additional context here because we didn't really talk about your real estate portfolio. We've just been talking about the, the call center and yeah. sales. And all this happened within the past three years too. And so I think that's what people have to understand. <laughs> I, I would love if I could talk to like every kid at a car dealership, right, or something. Like, there's really good sales guys out there that don't know wholesaling and the REI space really even exist. There's great guys in timeshares, great guys in solar. There's great guys and gals and all these really. And if they just that light bulb click, like, Oh, wait a minute. So I can build a portfolio for myself and I can do this and this and this, and it's easier. And I got to work less hours and I don't have to stand in the rain on the car lot. And like, I can do this virtually from anywhere in the world. Like we're closing significant transactions from a different continent. You can do this anywhere in the world that you want. It's the best game ever. Yeah, I 100% agree. Um, so then what is your biggest struggle right now? You know, leaders create leaders. And so my biggest task, I don't know if it's struggle, but my biggest task is to scale intelligently and do that by creating the next level, the, the next generation of me, if you will. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we have a 12,000 square foot facility right now. It's completely stacked. I mean, stacked. We just installed the last like 18 cubicles that can even fit in there. So it's 12,000 square feet completely knocked out. Now we have a need, we have a demand for our services to go into another 12,000 square foot on the floor below us, but I'm not going to rush the process. And I need to make sure my management team and team leads there and the, software sides, all my analytics, everything that I need to run the operation is at a stage where I can continue to scale. So my biggest struggle, if you will, right now, our biggest task at hand is creating the leaders to make the executions and decisions necessary that they're making like today when I'm not there. Like I love when I'm not there, not because I don't want to work, but I love making them make the decisions because they come to me, they always have the answer. Like, hey, Scott, I was thinking about doing this. How do you feel? And I'm like, yes, like that. that's it. There you go. You got it, my man. So just giving them self-confidence to become the next generation. Of How are you doing that? You know, I'm a pretty aggressive leader. And so I don't sugarcoat things mm-hmm. um, for the good or the bad. And so I just am very, very blunt with their decision-making process. I empower them. There's nothing that they could do to get terminated, but they're definitely going to catch some either praise or fire when they do something in error. And it's just a matter of helping them talk themselves through it. It's, it's amazing that 80% of the time they already know the answer. This morning I asked somebody in Slack, I was like, okay, but so what are we doing? They said, well, this is what we're going to do. I said, great. So did you tell the affiliate that strategy yesterday? He said, no, not yet. So I had to help him understand. So you knew yesterday that this was the right decision. And the only reason why you said it today is because I asked you about it. So it's just helping them understand, like, yesterday you knew. You didn't need to wait for today for me to ask you. Yesterday you knew you execute right then and there. Just helping them see the stuff that they're capable of doing. Self-confidence is is really where a lot of it lies in. Are you bringing in any external help? <sighs> yeah, I just recruited a girl um, from Seattle, Washington, to help run on the data side and the technology side. We have a big data department, data company. 
Um, so I just recruited outside talent there. I brought in a gentleman that I started in sales 20 years ago. He helps with the sales floor. Um, so we recruited two external people into the States, but for the most part, we're creating them on the inside. Yeah. I mean, I'm just thinking, right? Like I know, uh, you were working with Eric Brewer, right? Yeah. On, on his operations. Might be someone you might want to bring in on leadership training. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's actually a really good point. I love his operation. He's got the highest ROI out of any affiliate that I have, like, consistently. Mm-hmm. He knows how to get some juice for the squeeze. That yeah. guy right there. I, I, I look up to him. He gave me the opportunity to speak at CG. So it's a really good idea as well, too. Yeah. Uh, how do you measure success? That's ah, so many different ways to measure success, whether it's pro- professionally or personally. I know at the office, um, we do it by deal flow. So people buy from us dials. Well, what is dials? Dials means nothing. Who cares? Do you think not a single one of my customers care if I go 500 dials over for the day or 500 under? All they care about is deals. Mm-hmm. So the true KPI is, hey, I paid this amount, and then this is how many deals I got. My cost per deal was this. Like, right. So from the, from the business standpoint, I'm held to the only KPI that matters, which is ROI. Mm-hmm. That's how I measure success for my affiliates. We have a target we have a target ROI for people after 90 days. We have a target ROI after six months. Like this is our target for our affiliates. Personally, um, it's those thank yous. You know, that that's that's what matters the most to me. Not the thank yous from the affiliates, but the thank yous from the employees. Thank you from the affiliate. I met some really great people now. I consider friends that are affiliates. Um, but just people recognizing my desire to pour into them, I think, is part of the gratitude. Yeah, cool. And what is your superpower? Definitely sales culture. Yeah. Sales culture, for sure, yeah. I would say being able to take, it's like even when I, I, as soon as I saw your closers here, I walked in that room, I said, oh, man, I'm excited. The one guy was on the phone, I started talking to the other guy. It's just just being in that room right there. I was like, where's the gong at? I was like, we don't have a gong yet. I was like, we got to get you a gong. <laughs> you know, like we got to do something. I was like, where's the music? Let's get some music in here. I was like, yeah. it's, can we get some fireworks in here? Um, <laughs> but, uh, and then they said, well, if we get a gong, then Steve's just going to walk by and hit it all the time every time he walks by. Uh, but yeah, man, I think creating a sales culture and leading by example, for sure, uh, I hope to be my superpowers. How did you figure out how to lead a sales culture? You know, I think we've all had, I say this a lot at my, about my office. I'm literally living out 17 year old me's dream about one day I want to work at an office with this and this and this and this. And like we have ping pong tables and foosball tables. We have an arcade room. Uh, we're getting barber chairs. We just ordered two barber chairs. Like, like we have the coolest off bean bags and we do concert. We did boiler room movie night the other mm-hmm. night. And so like, we got a really cool office we have an office that's cool because I know what it was like to work in bad offices. Mm-hmm. And I've also throughout my sales career worked at crappy sales floors and I've, I've had sales managers who didn't care. And so I think for me, I just learned what's worked and what hasn't. I've been in, you know, I'm 42 years old. I've been in high ticket sales for two decades. I've seen a lot of the rights and the wrongs in many, many sales organizations. And so I just, I remember what motivated me mm-hmm. and I remember what I saw motivate other people and I try to incorporate that into our sales philosophies here and continue to push and grow. Yeah, I think one of the things that, I can't remember who says this, but like you're always learning something from somebody, whether you're learning what's to do right mm-hmm. or we're learning what not to do that's wrong. And I know for me, like there are a lot of things that were very demotivating in a previous uh, sales company I worked at. Yeah. Like we were never going to do those things, right? Coming in, 
yelling at people and then leaving. Yeah. That that doesn't work. Uh the um uh, rescheduling uh uh um appointments, right? One on one appointments, rescheduling them ten minutes beforehand. Yeah. Not not a good look. For me, I think one of the biggest things, uh, I was very blessed that the guy that I worked for for 10 years, he never did this one time. Well, he actually did do it one time, and that was the last time. Uh, and I remember that day, right? But no CEO should ever pocket watch their employees. You set a commission structure, and you hope that it brings you pain. Mm-hmm. And so, like, at my commission structure, we just did a big, huge check. It was the biggest commission check, and we rolled out, and we have a and for one particular campaign. But it's like, as a leader, you want to set those types of incentives and then don't make it so where it's touching the moon with the stick, like, oh, they'll never hit it. But it is being able to give people an opportunity to make commissions, to have a really commissions-driven floor, and then be happy to have to pay it. Because mm-hmm. there's some companies out there that have ceilings on commissions or they've structured it in a way where you can't really hit it all the way. And it's like, no, man, like these kids are here. They're giving you their time to make money, offer a fair commission structure, stick to it, incentivize it, and always offer new and creative commissions. Yeah, I've never understood it where the owner or somebody is upset yeah. at how much their salespeople are making. It's like you realize that's revenue, right? Yeah, yeah. And you're paying them a percentage of what they brought in. Yeah. It's not like this is a new check you had to write. I've never understood yeah. that mindset. Uh, what is your biggest regret? Uh, so I appreciate that question. Uh, I think... In my, it's hard to answer it, honestly, because I think every regret has an opportunity for uh, a level up. And so I think this is one of the things that drives people in my life crazy. It's not that I can't be wrong or do something wrong, but I know that inside of that error or regret is an opportunity for equal or bigger growth. And so I was never supposed to be in Columbia. I was never supposed to go in the REI space. We were sued by two multi-billion dollar companies. I was already picking out private planes. We had a, a bill of sale. We had a letter of intent to sell the company for $52 million. I'd been making great money, bought a castle, a legitimate castle. Like, uh, so anyways, I have, everything was great. And then we got sued and lost all that. And so at, at, at one point I could have been like, oh, I regret ever getting in the lawsuit and all this other stuff, but I don't. Because had that not happened, then I wouldn't have the life that I have today in Colombia with all these kids and a beautiful house and beautiful daughters. And, and so it's tough. It's not that I don't have any regrets, but I don't regret any of my regrets. Mm-hmm. And everything that's happened, whether by choice or by force, it's led to something that I've been able to grow into something more beautiful because of it. So, Yeah. Um, what about failures? Uh, what, are, what are the biggest failures? You know, as a aggressive Steve Jobs mindset type of person, as a young man, you know, I have my my mother of my two kids, who at that time was my wife. I'd say that sacrificing some of that personal time Mm -hmm. to drive my business pursuits and in my head always, hey, listen, these sacrifices are to pay that back. So I'm not going to spend this time here because I'm going to do these things here. But don't forget, we're also flying first class here and we're going plane shopping and we're doing these things. And at some certain point, you learn this lesson like, hey, they don't really care too much about that. Mm-hmm. And I thought on the movies, that was just like what people said. Like, what do you mean you don't care about that? And so learning later that like, oh, yeah, like flying coach, but spending two hours together. 
more together as a family would have actually been better than not seeing me for two days straight and then flying first class or whatever it is. So yeah. it's just those lessons I learned about time management with the family. And those now are dialed in. Yeah. I saw some, someone posted this the other day on Facebook and it was like, uh, the only people that care about how hard you work or the only people that will never forget how hard you work mm. are your kids. Like, oof. Yeah. That's tough. Yeah. Right. That's a good one. Right. Cause your, your, your employees don't care. No. Your clients don't care. Your clients want results. Yeah. Your employees want to know they're getting paid. Yeah. Right. Yeah. The only people that are going to remember how hard you work are yeah. your kids. Like, oh. Yeah, that that's one. that's rough. All right, we we're gonna have to go put our kids on Facetime right now. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what book have you gifted more than any other? Uh, secret, the Millionaire Secret. And I, uh, as soon as we stop talking or here in a second, the the author of it, uh, I give that's this. Your record is that different? No, uh, man, and I give it out every Christmas to a multitude of guys. Yeah. Um. Anyways, but. It's a, it's a really blessed, beautiful book on helping people just kind of write out and plan out exactly where their journey's at, where they want to go. I think it's the millionaire secret. Um, but I'm a big, aside from that, I'm a big, big believer in Zig Ziglar. Mm-hmm. So as a kid, that man changed my life. Oh, yeah. He, I saw him talk a couple of times live, but when people say, hey, listen, what would you recommend? I get all my guys, because it was good, wholesome sales. Yeah. I taught you how to be a good man understand morals in life and also some really, really great sales strategies. So mm-hmm. literally everything by Zig Ziglar, I consumed in my twenties. I love Zig Ziglar. Uh, the, I only got a chance to hear him speak once. And the one, ch- the one time I got to hear him speak was after uh, he had a big accident, mm. but he was repeating himself at the event. Yeah. Uh, but you know, the one lesson I implemented immediately uh, from Zig Ziglar, which has nothing to do with sales, or I guess you can make an argument in sales was uh, celebrating your anniversary every month. Right. Hmm. So most of us celebrate anniversary every year. Zig celebrates his anniversary every month. Right. Like, so every month you're celebrating your bride. Wow. Right. Beautiful. Yeah. I definitely missed that page. <laughs> <laughs> I thought he said biannually. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, I think Zig was great and it's, it's, it's too bad for everyone that missed him. But, you know, it was a, he's super motivational, super inspiring, and a lot, of, a lot of great lessons. And I think one of the biggest things, uh, uh, from him, I, I found afterwards was like he was also a giant, massive introvert. Yeah. Right. Like he wasn't even like this big extrovert, but he's like traveling the country. He's speaking on stage for all these people, sharing these awesome lessons. And he was obviously very well compensated for all that. Yeah. It's one of the things I tell kids because people always say, hey, you're the, the equivalent of your five closest friends. Mm-hmm. Well, there was a definite stage in my life where I looked around when I first heard that quote, I looked around at the five people around me and said, oh man, I'm in trouble. Yeah. Like, I don't even, I don't know five people I want to be the equivalent of. Like, I just wasn't surrounded. But I found those five people in books. Mm-hmm. And I, when I made that discipline, and this would have been when I was like 20, 21, 22, to, okay, I'm going to find those five people I'm going to be like in books. It's Zig Ziglar, Tom Hopkins, Tony Robbins, like uh, all the books that were big in that era. But that's what I tell kids today. And like, I had a young lady come to me the other day. She said, hey, listen, I've cleaned up a lot of my life. I don't drink. I don't do anything else now. She was like, and I, I kind of feel lonely. And so she was talking about the pains of that. And so that's when I essentially re-talked about this story. It's like, you know, I had to cut some people off as well, too. And I found that bridge until my life caught up and I was surrounded with other people. But I found that in books mm-hmm. and just being able to get to know those people. Like, I, 
there was a time where I knew every single thing about Zig Ziglar and, you know, cause he was my friend that I met through that book. And so I just encourage anybody out there who's struggling to surround themselves with people. You can find them out there. And I personally, I like the old school book because I find that when I'm watching it on my phone or listening to it, I'm also doing multitudes of other things, but taking a Sharpie and a book and forcing yourself to discipline for a read can change your life. Yeah. And I think, you know, kind of, you, you touched on it is this part where, we leave people behind and I know that it's a struggle. I've mentored so many younger people, right? Where they kind of start getting success and they realize, Oh, if I want more success, that means I actually have to go work out. I have to eat better. I have to drink less. Uh, I have to have a workout regimen, sleeping regimen, all these other things. Yeah. And personal development time for personal development. And the natural byproduct of that is that most of your friends aren't following you on this journey. Yeah. And it's tough. So a good litmus test I had as a, a kid, and you go to my house today, I have a, I'm blessed to have a very, very beautiful house. But in my bedroom, oh, first on my bathroom mirrors, I have quotes right there. I have three major quotes. I, I talk about two mentors in one of mine. Um, nobody's built like you, you design yourself. That's the top one right there. But I have these three quotes, but then you go into my master bedroom and then you'll see like a whole window of I am statements, uh, eight powerful prayers, and then all my 2023 goals. I mean, different colors, huge. And this is a very, very nice house. And you see like almost graffiti on the glass. But when I was young, and I've always done this my whole life because I need to be able to keep my vision and goals in front of me. I have a certain morning routine where I want to be able to wake up, do my prayers, do my reading, go over my goals, go over my I am statements, and then read my, uh, the scriptures that have meant something to me in my life. This is my morning routine, and I did this as a kid as well, too. But one of the things is if I would ever bring a friend or let's just say a lady, a new girl or somebody over to the house, and they would see that on my wall or my mirror, and they would say something negative. They'd be like, oh, you think you're anything other than full-on, full support, that person immediately out of my life. Because it's like, oh, like they don't believe in me. And it's hard. Listen, if you're in a Section 8 house and you have a beautiful Thanks, quote written, it sounds almost preposterous, but I need you, if you're in my life, to support that. I need you to believe that, yes, I can have that private plane, or yes, I can have this, and yes, I can have that. And so it was always a good litmus test to get the people out of my life. Uh, that's a great, great point. Uh, so we've talked about sales books. So we've talked about books. We also talk about sales books. So we might as well talk about, like, what are your favorite sales books? Yeah, um, so we give everybody the way of the wolf um, at our office. So that's a big one. It's uh, anything Jordan Belfort. I'm a big believer in the straight line technique for mm -hmm. sure. Um, these are more modern books that I'm going to talk about now. Um, but I believe in the straight line sales technique. I think it has the core fundamentals are absolutely correct. Um, I think that training people to understand that, Hey, listen, you're, you have to go from A to Z and you can't just skip around and it, you go off, you just come right back and you go off and you come right back. So I'm a big believer in that. And also the mentality we have a big TV that hangs down, and I'll put on uh, Wolf of Wall Street at the front of the office just to get people hyped up and stuff. It sucks when it gets to the, the naked scenes because it makes everybody uncomfortable. Um, but we do that. And then um, the other big one is the – and I'm so sorry, I'm blanking on his name. But the gentleman with the FBI, the um, – Chris Voss? Yeah, the Chris Voss book. That's another great one that I really, really enjoyed from the current generation. Prior to that, anything – Tom Hopkins, Zig Ziglar, um, John Maxwell, he, although he was a little bit more motivating, 
But those were just the core tenets of my original life. Yeah. So I want you to think about the message you want to leave everyone with. Make a couple of announcements. Uh, guys, if you got value today, please subscribe, comment, share, right? Every little bit helps. We're trying to help as many people as possible. Um, and uh, we do have our live event coming up. Let's see, I think it's next week, actually. So uh, Friday next week, I think we have like one or two spots left. I'm not like trying to oversell this. We have one or, spot, one or two spots left. If you're interested, go check out disruptors.com slash sales disruptors. Uh, so uh, what are some last thoughts you'd like to leave everybody with? Yeah, I think that the, the number one takeaway for me should be like, hey, sales is an opportunity to change your life. And I think that there's a lot of guys and gals out there that are kind of stuck in a rut and they have an opportunity to change their trajectory. And once you learn those sales skills, you can apply it to any industry and you can apply it to any product. But if I would have known what the real estate space was in this capacity when I was 19 or 20 years old, I can't even imagine the portfolio that I would have right now. Yeah. And there's kids out there in the city who are not even the city, there's kids everywhere. We're doing some of the dumbest things. They're driving around with felonies in their car. They should be driving around with yard signs in their car. Mm-hmm. And I think just getting that industry knowledge out there to the masses, it's going to be such a big help for the youth. So you can change your life if you master sales, you study from the grades, you, you make yourself a disciplined student to sales. You can change a lot and take time while you're in sales. You know, like I said, it takes time to take homes, quality over quantity every single day of the week. And that'll lead to a, a high ROI lifestyle. Yep. Um, so if someone wants to work with you, it's callcenterdisruptors.com. Yep. If someone wants to talk to you directly, how would they do that? Best way is uh, Instagram, at Lamasu Leads. Um, you can go to lamasuleads.com as well, too. But I have a lot of people who reach out just for advice and stuff, and I'm, I'm 100% cool with it. You know, my, my desire is to make an impact. Most people who reach out to me actually don't qualify yet to work with us. Um, because they have to be a certain avatar and do a certain amount of volume. But yeah, man, anybody that, that I can help, they have a question, they got positive something from this, just reach out to me on Instagram at Lamasu Leads. I respond to all of them right now, currently myself. That's awesome. Very cool. Thank you very much for coming on. Yeah, appreciate it. Thank you guys for watching. See you all next week. Shout out to Steve Train. Jump on the Steve Train. We real estate disruptors.